Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, sports fans. I've got a new show on SB Nation Radio. That's right, a national terrestrial radio show every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. So tune in on your local FM station or stream it live from SBNationRadio.com. I'll also post a show right here as a podcast the next day. You in? It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans. Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown. I love that title. It really has a nice ring to it, wouldn't you say? Glad to be here over on SB Nation Radio, where you can stream this show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can also tune in on the FM, local FM radio station, but it might be easier to go to SBNationRadio.com and tune in that way. If you don't know who I am, I am Coach Nick, and I run B-Ball Breakdown over on the YouTube side and Twitter and Facebook and the .com, and we got a lot of ways to cover the NBA from a coach's perspective. I was a coach. I ran a big high school program over here in L.A. for several years, and I was also a basketball manager at the University of Wisconsin way back when Stu Jackson was the head coach. And interestingly, one of the assistants was Sean Miller who is now in the news in a negative way, unfortunately, because as the head coach of Arizona, apparently, allegedly, he got caught on tape talking about giving a large sum of money to a recruit. And I suppose he didn't get the memo that you're supposed to talk about money as baked ziti, as far as I understand from the the mob movies I've seen. You never mentioned the word money in there and how much, but he got caught that way. It's unfortunate, and it's in the news. It's probably going to get a lot worse for a lot of other college basketball coaches out there. But we're here for the NBA. Today, I released a great video entitled, Is LeBron Being Treated Unfairly by the Referees? He called them out after the game against San Antonio on Sunday, and he was really concerned having driven to the basket a hundred times, quote-unquote. He didn't get enough calls. And in fact, if you look at his numbers, apparently according to the tracking data, He is driving to the basket the same amount of times as he did last year, this year, yet he's getting 1.2 free throw attempts per game less this year. So that would naturally mean that all the LeBron fans are pretty upset, thinking he's not getting the calls. So in that video, I went through every drive to see, did they miss any contact about the face, neck, and chest area? Or were they simply doing a good job on a guy who is almost impossible to referee with how aggressive he is going to the basket. We have a great show coming up with some awesome guests to give you even more analysis on what's going on across the NBA this week and into the future. So stay tuned and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsors.
It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. And we're back, sports fans, for another great episode of the B-Ball Breakdown. I am Coach Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at B-Ball Breakdown and also everywhere else across any type of social media. B-Ball Breakdown is the place to go. And when I'm not busy breaking down video of the games themselves and what's going on on the court, I am with you guys here on the radio every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. So I did want to talk about a video I dropped today. If you haven't seen it, you should get over there to B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube because I did an interesting video how LeBron was complaining a lot about how he didn't go to the free throw line on Sunday against the Spurs. And when players do that, it's an awesome opportunity for me to go into the footage and find out, is this really happening? Do the referees, were they actually missing calls that would have been fouls? And so whether or not that's true or not, I'd love to get in there and be able to either disprove it or prove it and make all the LeBron fans feel better or, or, or unleash them on with their wrath all over me, which is usually what happens with the LeBron fans, unfortunately. But uh, I thought it was a pretty fair and balanced analysis of what happened in that game. And, you know, what's interesting is that he, in his quotes after the game, when he called out the refs, basically, was that he's more concerned with the fact that the shooters now seem to get a lot more protection from the refs. I mean, there's no reason I should be going to the line four times in a game when I drive a hundred times to the paint. I'm getting hit and slapped and grabbed and whatever, whatnot. So, but we protect the shooter. That's what, that's what it's turned into. Um, you know, chicks dig the long ball, and uh, <laughs> that's what it's about. Now, I don't know about you, but I've certainly learned that, yes, chicks dig the long ball. And uh, this is what we're seeing now with Harden. He seems to be getting a lot of those calls that are a bit frustrating because the defender gets their arms a little bit too close to him, and he's a master at just ripping up and shooting that shot and getting the call, getting the three-point shot. And uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about that when Dave DeFord joins us a little bit later in the hour. Um, but I can understand a little bit why LeBron was complaining. But I went through the footage, and what I ended up finding out was they did miss one egregious call where he went to the basket and got hit in the face. However, when Rudy Gay did hit him, he actually blocked cleanly the ball first. And then on the follow-through, whacked him in the face a little bit, and then he crumpled to the, uh, to the ground against the stanchion. LeBron did. So that was a foul. They should have called that one okay. And then there was one other one where he actually made the shot, so obviously the, the uh, contact wasn't that bad uh, before he gathered as he was going to jump to shoot it. So I really didn't see a lot of issues that LeBron could have been complaining about. Now that said, um, what, we, what we did see was the Spurs, as a team, they are the, they are the team that's uh, fouled the fewest amount of times per game in the NBA. And they pride themselves on it. They work on it. They do not want to foul. In fact, what I did show in the video was a quite a number of, you know, probably three or four drives where they kind of like just got out of the way a little bit and let him score for fear of fouling him instead. So I don't think that LeBron had much uh, to complain about. And what you really found out, though, which I thought was interesting, is when I really went through the frame by frame of these drives, you realize that he traveled on a couple of them, like really just obvious travels. So, you know, one of them was, you know, when you dribble, step, and lift in the air and then land on a jump stop, you cannot pivot at that point. 
and yet he did, and they missed it, and they let him do that. And he, and he uh, I don't, he didn't get a foul, but whatever, the, the play went on. And then another time, he actually got a foul because he did get a couple calls on the drives where he lifted off of his right foot and then you know gathered and then came back down on the right foot. And you cannot do that either. So uh, they let him get away with a couple travels. So I would argue that, you know, okay, they might have missed one call for sure and then maybe another one or so, but they also let him get away with a couple travels. So I think it all balances out in the end. And the other thing you can take away from watching that video, and certainly for me watching all his drives, was that it's really, really hard to referee LeBron James. Uh, he is constantly uh, initiating contact and using his off arm. And you know what? That's that's what he does. It's part of the game, and it's what you try and work. You know, just like James Harden has figured out how to get his fouls, and that's what LeBron has. But you know, it's really, really hard to to mitigate those things and figure out. Well, is that uh, him initiating, or is that the the defensive player initiating the shot, the, the contact? It's really hard to figure that out. So I don't uh, envy any referee that has to be subjected to that, especially when it comes to the playoffs, and you got to deal with a whole level of intensity there. Um, but I de- definitely feel like there's there's interesting conversation to be had there. And out of all this, we've also seen, you know, on Twitter, people were talking about how, you know, Russell Westbrook has also gotten a lot less free throw attempts this year. And so I went through some of the numbers. And, you know, last year he drove to the basket 20, it's by the way, a staggering 20.6 drives per game. I mean, that's crazy um, how many times that he's dri- he drives to the, to the hoop. And uh, he got 10.4 free throw attempts uh, per game. So it's about half of the number of drives he's getting free throws. And this year, he's down to 18.6 drives per game. And he's only getting uh, about almost 7, 6.9. So there's definitely a little bit of a drop-off there as far as the free throws. However, I thought another interesting thing is he's actually playing about a minute and a half more per game this year which is really surprising because last year he had no help, supposedly, and yet they were able to find him more rest during the regular season, whereas this year when they have Paul George and Carmelo Anthony and a, you know, a better team around him now, he's playing more minutes, which is kind of another crazy thing that I discovered without even looking for it when I uh, looked at the stats. And so the other thing that you find out about that is that Okay, he's playing a minute and a half more, but he's actually getting you know a lot less, you know, two drives per game less. So that's another interesting thing that which would also contribute to maybe why he's getting less free throws. And that also speaks to this notion of, you know, is it a simple fact that the more times you drive to the basket, the more times you get free throws, and that's a linear progression? I I don't necessarily think so. I mean, it's clear that when you watch LeBron play, he's lost a step and he doesn't jump as high. And so suddenly, you know, if he's driving, and also when there's a stagnant offense and he's driving into the teeth of the defense, they're in position already. It's a little bit easier for them to defend without fouling. So I would argue that it's perhaps the same way with Russ. I mean, Russ doesn't ever attack on the catch. He just catches the ball and holds it and looks and looks and waits and jabs. And so, you know, you could argue that that's easier for the defense to defend without fouling. So... I don't know if the complaints are legitimate as far as saying, oh, I am now uh, attacking more, so therefore I should be getting more free throws. It's, it's a weird argument for me to some degree because, you know, I, maybe it's rare. Maybe in a macro sense that's what you see, and it's like a guarantee to somebody who's a real big statistical analysis person. 
But for me, in an individual game at least, I might say to myself, you know what? They might have had really played really good defense. And you might have played against a, a few teams that really understand how to move without the basketball on defense and be in the right position so that they don't foul. And certainly with Russ, when you see him barreling to the hoop out of control a lot, he's you know basically an average finisher with his field goal percentage at the rim. He really is, even though he can do wondrous things with the with his body, and he can outleap people and dunk up for people that are just incredible, breathtaking displays of athletic ability. He, in the in the macro sense, does not shoot well when he finishes, and I could easily understand the referee looking at him. Just barreling uh, at the basket out of control and being like, "There's, you know, I can't really give him that foul because he's, you know, twisted and leaning and and falling into people, and it's just sort of a, a mess." So, uh, and which, by the way, kind of contributed to this whole Zaza Pachulia being dirty uh, question, which I may, or, I think I might do a video on, where if you missed it, uh, Zaza fell across his legs uh, in the last game they played against the Warriors. And part of it, though, the beginning of the play was Russell Westbrook having a really bad stretch in the third quarter that decided the game in favor of the Warriors. Where And then and one of these plays was him just, just flying at the rim and getting not quite horizontal, but like just all out of control. And you could, it's, it's easily understandable when you watch that how the referee can say, I can't call this foul here. This is not a basketball play he's making. Now, whether or not Zaza fell on purpose on him is, a, is debatable because upon a lot more further review, you see that Nick Young's foot hooks the back of his knee. And that would have caused it to bend a little bit, and then maybe he would fall. So, you know, again, there's there's a little bit of evidence to think that maybe Zaza wasn't doing it completely on purpose. But, you know, there is a, a video to be done where you can show, you know, that the it might be up to a dozen instances across his career of things that are like this that you say to yourself, man, this is a problem. And it shouldn't have been that much. So we've got a great show coming up for you. We've got David Gardner coming on to talk about some prospects for next year. We've got Dave Dufour coming on to talk about the Rockets. So I guess your name needs to be David to come on the show. So stick with us. And after these messages, we'll come right back with more from the B-Ball Breakdown. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Sports fans, it is Coach Nick, and we're back here at the B-Ball Breakdown. And if you don't know me, I am Coach Nick. I run B-Ball Breakdown over on YouTube and on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else you might find social media. And we analyze the NBA frame-by-frame, freeze-frame, slow-mo, voiceover, the whole deal. And I am excited to bring on a guest for this segment named David Gardner, who is a staff writer at Bleacher Report. And you can follow him at by David Gardner, which is B-Y and then David Gardner. Uh, and David, I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here with you. I love your stuff. You're always teaching me new things about the game. Wow. Well, thank you so much for, for that testimonial. We'll have to put that up on the <laughs> website. <laughs> but we ran into each other during the Basketball Without Borders uh, over during the All-Star Weekend festivities. And uh, tell, just give us an overview of what that is, because I'm sure a lot of people who are watching the All-Star game and all those different things have no idea what else is going around during that weekend. Yeah, I actually think that Basketball Without Borders is one of the coolest things uh, that the NBA does. And what they do is they take uh, 16 to 18-year-old international players from uh, 36 different countries were represented. um, And they bring them in uh, for a clinic. And they've got NBA coaches there. They've got NBA players there. Among the guys who dropped by were uh, DeMontis Sabonis and uh, Al Horford came by. And uh, Derek Fisher was one of the coaches. And so they put these guys through a clinic. And it's a great way to get... 
uh, a kind of good view of the young international guys who are in the game. So some re- some names that your you know listeners might not know is like Sekou Demboya, who's a French prospect originally from the African country Guinea. Uh, he's probably a top ten pick in 2019, uh, but just is not somebody who most people are aware of. So it's one of the first opportunities for scouts to get a look at these guys, uh, and it's a really really great event. Oh, for sure. And I was lucky to sit right in front of you in the stands because I don't know anybody. And there's, there's a lot of players. There's, there's, there's so many out there and there's no names in the jerseys. You don't know who anybody is. And I was constantly turning around saying, okay, well, who's that? Like, who should I be looking at? And so certainly Seku did stand out a bit. I mean, he's long. How tall is he, by the way? He's 6'10", or 6'9", excuse me, and he measured out a 6'11 wingspan. So plus two, which is pretty good for a guy who's a tweener 3'4". Okay, and so and his game, I mean, not to say he's like a Kevin Durant-ish kind of guy, but he seemed like a guy who can handle the ball a little bit and also, um, you know, move around the court and score in different ways. Yeah, he seemed to me, um, the guy that he likes the most uh, is Paul George, and he compares pretty well to him size-wise. I don't think skill-wise he's there, but he's only just turned 18. Uh, I think what stands out to you about him is he's got a great handle for a guy who's lanky like he is, and he's got a really soft touch. I don't know how much you watched him shooting, but, I mean, really, he gets great arc, great rotation on the basketball. I was really impressed by him, and he's kind of been knocked as one of these guys who's coasted on raw talent, even though he plays in Pro B in France, and I thought that during Basketball Without Borders, he was consistently showing really terrific effort he was clapping on his teammates he speaks only limited english but i heard him say let's go maybe a hundred times during that weekend (laughs) all right that's good now he's he's eligible for you think 2019 to come in the nba Right, so he's never played in the United States. He's a true foreign prospect, so he can enter the draft when he is 18. He doesn't have to do the American rule of being one year removed from high school. So he'll be ready to go uh, next year in the 2019 draft. Not this year, but next year. Okay, that's good to know. So we'll keep an eye on him for sure. And obviously uh, for this draft in the 2018, the summer coming up in June, we're going to have to decide who's going to go number one, who's in the top five. And I know there's a lot of different uh, names that keep bubbling up. So who do you think is going to go number one? If I had to say right now today, my number one pick would be DeAndre Ayton. I just don't think that you can pass on a guy with his level of physical tools and raw talent. And the fact that he has progressed so quickly, he came to the Bahamas, from the Bahamas when he was 12 years old. And if you look now at his fundamentals and his footwork, he is absolutely fantastic. I think he has the ceiling of a guy like... The guy that I compare him to, not in a playing style way, but in a potential way, is Carl Anthony Towns. I think he can have that kind of impact as a rookie. I just don't think that you can say no to a seven-footer with ball skills. And there are a couple guys like that in this draft. DeAndre Ayton is the one who really stands out. Wow. So wait, where is he playing college right now? He plays at Arizona. Uh, And actually, you know, he's in the news a little bit recently, not for great reasons, because that was the one that ESPN report said that Sean Miller was discussing with Christian Dawkins, one of the guys the FBI arrested in the probe, arranging a payment of $100,000 for DeAndre Ayton. Ayton's family in Arizona have denied that he took any kind of money. There's no evidence of that beyond this report. Um, Personally, I think these guys should be paid. You know, he's definitely worth $100,000 or more to the uh, University of Arizona, but uh, his draft potential is not in question. Right, and I don't think anything's going to happen to him anyway as far as his eligibility to play in the NBA, regardless of what happens in the college, right? 
Correct. There would be no effect unless there was some sort of situation where the FBI also went after him. They've shown no interest in going after the actual players or their families so far. It's been more the employees, the coaches, the shoe company guys, because they're, uh, according to the FBI, engaging in kind of a fraud scheme, a tax evasion scheme, and that's what they're going after. I don't think that anyone is interested in chasing these prospects. Right. Wow, that's interesting. So you think that uh, there can't be, a, there must be a lot of uh, coaches in the college ranks right now who are not sleeping very well at night. I think if you are a school that has uh, top 30 guys regularly on your roster, you're probably not sleeping very well because this is the market. Even if the school themselves is not involved in any kind of payment, uh, then the shoe companies are guys that are getting in there. So that's the way the system works. And it's unfortunate The NCAA has created this black market and they should let it go. If they just let players profit off their names and likenesses, sign sponsorship deals, appear in car commercials, then this would all go away instantly. Well, okay, but you're talking about a, a very small number of those athletes that would get those kind of endorsement deals, right? And that's the problem is, I don't know, well, I guess the question is how many of those sort of one and done or those guys you're going to pay illegally anyway, uh, are, there are. But I, having being in the advertising business, basically, I know how hard that is to get those dollars and get those sponsorships. So I wonder, you know, how many, like, especially let's just say USC and UCLA, right? Now you have two teams in the same local market. Those car commercials, whatever they were talking about, those going to be harder to deal with uh, if you have if you have too many of those good players. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how the market would play out, but the point is that they're not letting the market play out. So if Cody Riley gets a sponsorship deal from UCLA at the same time that a USC kid gets one, you know, there are a bunch of used car, car dealerships out there in Los Angeles, and I'm sure that there are many who would want a guy in a USC jersey or UCLA jersey or his Nike gear out there on commercials. So what I'd like to see is just that these kids are able, like every other student at a university, be able to profit off of their names and likenesses. If Nike wants to sponsor Deion Andre Ayton right now this year for a million dollars, there should be nothing that stops him from being able to sign that deal. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also, because, well, it's, it's fraught with a lot of things. I was on Twitter uh, a couple, like last week, discussing all the different issues. And, uh, but I like the idea, certainly, of they shouldn't, if it's their likeness or that kind of stuff, they should absolutely profit off of that. Any kind of the t shirt sales with their name and their number, like that is for sure. Uh, and again, if you're the 10th man on, a, you know, on UCLA, you're not getting, you know, no one's going to buy your jersey, but that doesn't necessarily matter. They're not the ones they need to worry about paying anyway, I suppose, is the, is the question. I do think there's a whole Pandora's box of rules we have in place now, which kind of require if you pay this athlete in this sport, you got to pay all the athletes in all the sports, but perhaps they can change those rules and then that becomes clear. But let's talk a little bit more about some more prospects because I know people are going to be really interested to hear your takes on some more. Uh, what about Luka Doncic? He's a guy I've done a couple of videos on. Where do you see him getting drafted? Yeah, I would say DeAndre Ayton's my number one overall, but if you had to say another guy was going to be number one, it'd be Luka Doncic, and you wouldn't be alone in saying that he's number one. I mean, I think the best draft analyst out there is John Giveney at ESPN, and he's got Luka number one, I think, in his latest uh, mock draft, and there's no reason to go away from him. It'll just kind of depend on what the team's needs are. If they want a point guard, then Luka's going to be the guy. If they want a big man, then DeAndre's going to be the guy. Luka's skill level, I'm sure you can attest this, so advanced for a player who is is either he's just about to turn 19 or he's uh or he has already turned 19 i'm not sure what his birthday is but his ball handling skills his shooting his court awareness his passes i mean he's making pro level passes as you would expect for a guy who's playing pro level basketball he strikes me as the type of person who can come over to the nba and in his first year make a huge impact for sure and he's also like like six eight probably 
Yes, yes, six eight two thirty. Uh, he's going to be hard to move around. And again, a, a true point guard, he can handle the ball as well as anybody else. Right. And so as we evolve into this new era of the way we play basketball, suddenly he is like the he's got the body of a uh, a power forward almost. And now you can think you can think about a lot of different kind of lineups you can play him there with other players, and it'd be really exciting to see. I mean, I know when Magic was playing, one of the benefits no one ever really noticed was is that oftentimes on a on a when you have to help out on a pick and roll, for instance, in the weak side, it's a a small point guard having to bump down a big and it doesn't really help you that much but when you had magic down there at six nine all of a sudden you're like oh that's a really great way you can bump and help and, and switch same here with Doncic, and i feel like uh yeah very skilled uh sees the game really well for such a young guy he might keep growing i, I was thinking he might get to taller than six eight yeah, you see a lot of guys who hit another growth spurt, a second growth spurt uh, between 20 and 23. And so it's not inconceivable that he'd be up there. He's a guy more like, you know, Ben Simmons and his ball handling skills at his size where he plays best with the balls in his hands. But he can uh, switch one to four. I mean, I think about him in terms of like, you know, what's a team that's at the top of the draft is the Suns, right? They could be the number one overall pick. And imagine a guy with that kind of switching ability on defense, with that kind of playmaking skills on offense, going alongside wings like Devin Booker and John. Josh Jackson, I see him making a huge impact on the on a team like that. For sure. Well, he is David Gardner, and you can follow him at by David Gardner as a staff writer at the Bleacher Report. So in our last minute, give us one last prospect that's a can't miss that you really are excited to see get drafted this summer. So this is my slightly hot take for the draft, but I think if you're at number three, you should pick Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I watched him at the Hoop Summit in Oregon last year. He was going up against other top prospects in the class, and he was just head and shoulders above everybody else there. Another guy who's really tall, has great ball handling skills. He's been hurt all season at Missouri, so we haven't been able to see him. I think it's in his best interest not to play again at Missouri and just work out for NBA teams and you know be a little selfish, but he's a guy, he's not like that. He wants to play for Missouri. He wanted to leave a college legacy his brother Jante is on the team so we may get to see him in the NCAA tournament hopefully we do but more importantly he's an NBA prospect that I would not pass on well he's David Gardner a Bleach Report I'm Coach Nick over at B-Ball Breakdown you're listening to the B-Ball Breakdown on SB Nation Radio thanks a lot David for coming on the show and we'll talk to you soon my pleasure Coach Nick and now a word from our sponsors It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. And we're back. Sports fans, I'm really excited to do this next segment with my partner in crime over on the podcast, the B-Ball Breakdown podcast. I'm going to bring on guest Dave Dufour, who is someone that you must follow over on Twitter, at Dave Dufour NBA. And he has some awesome takes on the NBA and also knows his CBA stuff really well, too. So if you're always looking for information for contracts and whatnot, he is the man to bring on and to ask. And let's bring him on. Dave, are you there? I am. How are you? I am good. I'm glad to have you here and to talk a little bit about uh, the NBA. I guess uh, let's turn the tables. What do you want to talk about today? I think we have to talk about the Houston Rockets. I think it's a must. I mean, you know, I, I was accused yesterday on on Twitter of being a closet Rockets fan because of how much I've talked about them this season. But they're the best team in basketball right now and and definitely the hottest team in basketball winning 20 out of their last 21 games. Um, they look like a juggernaut. 
Wow. So I, I had done a video on the Jazz being the hottest team in the NBA because they had won 11 in a row. And at the time, I think uh, the Rockets were had right behind them with 10 in a row. So now it's, I think, official. We can now declare the Rockets the hottest team in the NBA, certainly. And uh, it is. It is pretty impressive. I, you know, there is an interesting stat that I noticed uh, about uh, out of all of this that seems to fly in the face of what we know about the Rockets, which is their pace. What are we looking at here as far as this up-and-down notion of just jacking up threes and going as fast as they can? Well, their last 10 games in which they're 10-0, and they've actually had the, the slowest pace in the league. And so I think that the misconception among people who don't really watch that many games, um, I'm not going to say any names, um, but <laughs> they're on television, uh, they, they think that because it's Mike D'Antoni and the seven seconds or less that this is the same thing, and it's just not. Uh, this Rockets team actually leads the league in points per isolation. They are the best isolation scoring team in the, in the sport. They do a lot of isolation. Chris Paul and James Harden are both excellent isolation scorers. Eric Gordon's really good at it as well. And so Mike D'Antoni's philosophy is you do what works. The seven seconds or less Suns, that worked. Um, this this Rockets team, it's a lot of high pick and roll, and it's a lot of isolation. And And, man, they're just killing people. Now, it's interesting because, yeah, obviously, uh, when you, do, you think about isolation, you're talking about multiple dribble, five, six dribbles in place to try and get uh, the break the man down on the mismatch. And certainly, that's what you see a lot of with CP3 and Harden later in the clock. So there's the, there's the pace notion where there's less possessions because of that. Um, and how is that happening, though? Why, what about D'Antoni's offense is, is giving them the opportunity to, to ISO so much? Well, so what they're doing is they're actually they're getting every switch that they want. Anytime they want to switch, a, uh, get a big switched out onto Harden or Chris Paul, they're able to get it. They leverage the fact that they typically have four shooters on the court at once, and everyone's a threat to shoot threes. And so you, you basically you have to switch, or, or it's death by a million paper cuts at the basket. It's James Harden shooting free throws, you know, all day because uh, he's going to get that defender on his hip and and take it to the hoop. And um, you know, it's that, and it's also they're they're winning with defense. You know, the slower pace is, is is part of the fact that, you know, they're they're defending really, really well. Um, they, they held the Jazz last night to 85 points. That's a big deal. Yeah, it really, really is. And so uh, what's exciting about this is that it's, it is a team thing where they are spreading the court and they are actually, you know, really putting a lot of pressure on the defense. It's really almost impossible to stop them. I mean, what do you do to try and stop them? Well, I mean, I think you need a, a lineup that can switch one through five without getting roasted by James Harden and Chris Paul, and that's where the Warriors come in. And, you know, when they play their small ball lineup with, with Draymond as a center, you know, they can they can switch without without worrying about being destroyed. So uh, um, I think the Rockets are the second-best team in basketball if we're just looking at quality on and on paper. And uh, they're the first real threat to the Warriors that we've had in this little run that, that they're on. Well, there's a lot of controversy going on right now. I know LeBron was complaining about not getting calls, going to the basket, and Russ and, and Paul George as well. And you kind of have to imagine that they're also trolling James Harden, who has seemed to master the ability to draw the three-point shot foul. Um, and that is interesting because, you know, people are really upset about it. But what, what are we supposed to say about it? I mean, are these legit? Uh, yeah, this, this season the, the league has focused on not calling the garbage foul where the guy goes around the screen and then chucks the ball up. They call that as a non-shooting foul, which is what it is. You're not allowed to hand check. 
Um, so James Harden has adjusted his game, and he's getting a lot of these foul calls in isolation, not even off a of screen. And so, you know, if, if you put a hand on James Harden, um, or if you if you put your arm out in the path of his arms, he's coming up through that, and he's he's taking a real shot, and he's drawing a real foul. And so you've just got to be smart about it. Um, I thought Royce O'Neal last night for Utah did the best job I've seen all season of someone guarding Harden, where he gave him space to contain the drive and was able to leave his feet, contest the shot, and not make contact by going off to the side. That's the trick. I think that you've got to, you can't come straight on at Harden. He's too good. His natural shot motion kicks his feet out in front of him like a lot of really good shooters. And so that's a hard, it's a hard shot to contest. So if you come into the side, that gives you a real good opportunity to do it without fouling. But that being said, Harden has mastered NBA offense and drawing fouls. I mean, he is the Leonardo da Vinci of drawing fouls. I mean, it, it, there's no other way to put it. He's the best we've ever seen. Yeah, I think it's an evolution of the game. And we've been we've seen players like this who, you know, could get into your body and draw the contact, but there's no question that what he's done is elevated that to the next level. And even the even the step back that we see that people want to argue is a travel all the time, to me it's like such a highly skilled and highly practiced thing. This is not a random move that he's just kind of doing. He identified that this was going to be a legal thing and he now he practices it so that he gets it within an inch of the rules, but it's in the rules and you can and see it frame by frame. And this is sort of the template now. You, you kind of have to imagine that he's a guy who's probably sitting in his lab in the offseason going, okay, what else can I do? What other kind of things can we unlock that you know we, no one has, has ever really focused on and trained? And, uh, and it really is, is, is causing some problems. I think the other biggest issue, or the biggest issue for the defense is that he's not the kind of guy that simply isos to shoot the ball. There are times where he will snap that ball to a shooter in the middle of an ISO, and now it's an open shot because everyone's inching over to him, and that is probably the most interesting thing. We probably should do an analysis of, of his assists out of an ISO. I don't know if we can quantify that or not, but it would be interesting to look at. Uh, yeah, and, and the thing is, he's, he is not a selfish player at all, um, very much like LeBron. He's going to try to make the right play. He doesn't force bad shots. And Now, that, with that being said, he does wind up taking a few end-of-the-shot-clock shots that – you would rather not not have, but he's not going to force a bad shot six seconds into the shot clock. That's just not who he is, and he's he's a otherworldly passer. And uh, like you've talked about numerous times, he's able to just throw that that pass to the corner with just his wrist, and yeah. it's so quick and crisp. And this is where the Rockets are so scary because they always have a shooter in the corner. So if you help off on, if you rotate from the weak side. Your toast, and you definitely don't want to help, you know, on the strong side corner. Um, so it, it's just, I don't know, it's a matchup nightmare for anyone except for the Warriors. Right. And I think the clear thing there is when you're guarding him, you, yeah, give him a little extra space to contain because the last thing you want to do is put him on the line and get him good drive into the basket and get you in foul trouble. So you're going to have to live with, yeah, trying to get a hand up and hoping that he, you know, misses the three, which he's not like a lights out. I mean, I guess he kind of is a lights-out three-point shooter at times, but he, there definitely is the one area where you'd say, okay, I will much rather have him shoot a uh, somewhat or relatively contested three versus anything else that he does. And that might be the solution uh, that the Warriors have to do. Now, uh, Ron Adams, the Warriors' assistant coach who's in charge of the defense, is really good and disciplined about teaching them to keep their arms back so that they don't ever get in his airspace where he can kind of pull up and whack their arm and get the foul. And uh, it seems easy. But these NBA players consistently do it, and uh, it gets frustrating for, for everybody who's not a Rockets fan. 
Yeah, and again, he is just the best we've ever seen. It's it's hard to uh, it's hard to get yourself set against right. him. Well, we now have seen what the Rockets can do when they're healthy. And it, you might have to sort of ask yourself the question, is this now a, a big three that they have uh, when you include Clint Capella, their center? What do you think? Well, I love, I love what he's done from last year to this year, adding his ability to find a shooter in the corner, uh, to be more than just a scoring threat as a role man, to provide more than just vertical spacing. Um, his ball handling is improved, uh, just decision-making in general. And so... You know, um, I, I'm pretty impressed with with his growth, and uh, but I would not call him part of the big three. Okay, uh, I'm getting there. I mean, listen, I get irrationally exuberant about a lot of things, and you, can you forget that players can actually improve over the off season? They actually will work on stuff because it's felt like. Uh, maybe maybe I'm crazy, but it seems like there's so few of those these days who actually come in with a, a whole new skill set. And it's been a revelation for me, and it's great to see because a lot of times you'll say, oh, he's a center, he doesn't have good hands, he'll never have them. But this guy has really developed them. Yeah, and, and again, um, he can not only catch a lob, but he can also hit the little floater. And he's got a decent little little bit of a post-up game. It's not, it's not ideal, and, and you know that D'Antoni doesn't want to go there much. But in a pinch, they can hit him for a post-up. And, and he recognizes mismatches when they come. He's a very good screener. Yeah. The guy's a good player. I don't know how much he plays in a Warrior series. Well, okay. And by the way, there are times when he gets an offensive rebound or like a little dump-off pass where then he has to do a little bit of a move to score. And that's been a nice thing for him as well, some sort of spin that he can get a little jump hook. So that's definitely another step up. But uh, I would think that he would play a lot in a Warrior series because he can. he's mobile and can handle that stuff. You don't think he'll get more than – how many minutes do you think he's going to get in the series against the Warriors in the playoffs? I think he matches up against a traditional big when when they're out there, and then you know he's sitting when Draymond is the center or when KD is the center. So he'll get those minutes against Javale and David West and Zaza, but the rest of the time, I believe they'll roll with PJ Tucker at, at the five. I think that's the smart way to go. You got to be able to match the speed and the, the switchability. And it seems like D'Antoni has adjusted his, his starting lineup in the in the recently, and this is another reason why they're on this big tear. So, what does it mean for them that Ryan Anderson ended up going to the bench and is not starting for them? Well, you know, it, it gives them a little bit more punch off the bench, but also it, it improves their defense. And um, you know, his limit his minutes are going to be limited once once they get into the playoffs. Defensively, he's just it's so hard to keep him on the court, despite what he does on the offensive end. Um, I could see him playing more small ball five, sort of like a, a poor man's Kevin Love for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would expect him to be in that 15 to 20 minute range tops. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I'm looking at P.J. Tucker's numbers right now because he's shooting 36% from three on about three, a little over three attempts per game, which is, you know, an, it's enough where you have to – he's a spacer for them, enough to be a spacer for them. So, uh, yeah, that's a real interesting thing. And it, it, you probably – I mean, they probably could have done that in the beginning of the year, too. I guess a guy like P.J. Tucker, it tends to take a coach a little while to kind of realize how valuable he can be. Right, and and I, I can't remember the last time I saw P.J. Tucker miss a three that was wide open. And I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but that's that's a big part of his job. Is he, if he can hit the open ones, yeah, that's huge. Um, and then the way he defends one through five at the other end, I mean, you know, you're never worried about P.J. Tucker on a switch. It's, it's amazing. Like, he's just a real professional basketball player, like a real pro. 
Absolutely. And it's a, a great pickup. Daryl Morey deserves more credit than he probably already gets anyway, which is a lot, uh, for putting this team together. Joe Johnson even has been, you know, doing some nice things too. So, uh, it's, they're gonna, they're definitely gonna be a real challenge to the Warriors. And I think we finally deserve a, a great Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I can't wait. Well, neither can I. And you know what? I can't wait to serve up some ads from our sponsors for you guys too as we end this segment. But Dave, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Don't forget, you got to follow him on Twitter over at DaveDufourNBA. Uh, as always, I'm Coach Nick at B-Ball Breakdown. And we will come right back for one more segment on our new SB Nation radio show, which is every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on SB Nation Radio. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. And we're back to wrap up this great episode of the B-Ball Breakdown. As always, I am Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and our .com. we got a lot of great stuff every day coming up over there. Plus, another great show we had here with David Gardner came on, breaking down some prospects we know we'll be seeing in the NBA in the coming years, names you want to put in your mind so you're ready for them when they actually make it to the NBA. We also had Dave Dufour, my partner in crime over on my podcast, and we broke down the Rockets and their implications and what's going to happen with them versus the Warriors in the Western Conference. Really exciting stuff to see them if they match up. We certainly deserve a great Western Conference Finals matchup between those two teams. And also, if we take a quick glance at the schedule this week, tonight, right when we're done, you got to flip over to the Bucks-Wizards game. Playoff implications as the Wizards are fourth and the Bucks are sixth in the Eastern Conference. And I, uh, some great matchups there with Jabari Parker back now. And we're going to have an interesting thing with the Wizards playing better without John Wall, or maybe they aren't, but they certainly are doing well. And Bradley Beal is just a monster out there. Tomorrow night, there's a very intriguing matchup between the Pelicans and the Spurs as Anthony Davis is carrying his team and the Spurs are anxiously awaiting their star, Kawhi Leonard, to carry them back into the limelight as they're not quite an elite team without him, Neither, but who would be without him. So I'm anxious to see how they're going to match up and how that's going to work out because certainly the Spurs look really good against the Cavs. On Thursday, uh, I'm going to be tuning into the Sixers versus the Cavs because I want to see Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid against uh, everybody over there with LeBron's team. Uh, the, it's clear to me that Embiid is not intimidated by LeBron. And I love to see those young upstart uh, kids out there, you know, running up and down and trying to give it to the Cavs and see how they respond. And that's on national TV as well. Then on Friday, the Raptors visit the Wizards, another matchup with playoff implications, and also on national TV. So I am really excited about all the stuff that's happening in the NBA this week. I've got some more videos coming out. We'll have one on maybe Zaza being a dirty player or not. And another one on Anthony Davis's incredible run as he's carrying those Pelicans, like we said. So make sure to tune into all those things. Follow me over on Twitter at B-Ball Breakdown. Follow us over on the .com, bballbreakdown.com. And I'm Coach Nick. And as we wrap up, I want to make sure all of you guys play like a team. Pass that rock. Find the open man and knock down the open jumper. And with that in mind, don't forget what we always say over here, and that is, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in?